This is Waves, a podcast from APTA Michigan. I'm Andy Wicks. If you are a member of APTA, you may have heard of something called the House of Delegates. And if you're like me, you had only the vaguest inklings about what that entity did. Recently, I had the privilege of talking with Dr. Kyle Covington, a man who wears many hats in the physical therapy community, about the APTA House of Delegates. He spoke to us from somewhere near the beach in North Carolina. So what I would like to start with is if you could just introduce yourself with whatever title you choose and uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I'm Kyle Covington. I am a faculty member at Duke's Doctor of Physical Therapy at Duke University in North Carolina, where I've been there for quite a while and currently serve as an associate professor and our director of assessment and evaluation. Also, I'm a director of faculty development residency, but have a big role in teaching there and teach a lot of our sort of high-level professional content. I also am quite involved in the American Physical Therapy Association, have been a member uh, for quite a while and uh, been active in APTA North Carolina and several of the sections and currently serve on the APTA Board of Directors and as APTA's Vice Speaker to the House of Delegates. Excellent. And that's really what I wanted to talk specifically with you about was the House of Delegates. It's something that I think a lot of us hear the term, especially if we are members, maybe when we're students, we might hear a little bit about it. And it's and something to the effect of it's very important. But I think beyond that, not many of us really know what the House of Delegates is or what it does. So can you give us uh, a summary of what the House of Delegates is and its purpose? Yeah. So uh, on the very simple way to think about it is House of Delegates is sort of like Congress for the physical therapy profession. It is a meeting that occurs annually hosted by the American Physical Therapy Association. And it is a body, a representative assembly of members of every state and section or academy within the American Physical Therapy Association. The members of states in the House of Delegates are apportioned based on the population of therapists within that state that are members of the American Physical Therapy Association. And then each of the 18 specialty academies gets two voting delegates. There's also a bunch of other people there that don't get votes, but are there for information and debate and to help the conversation move forward. But the purpose of the House of Delegates is as a high-level policy-setting body for the profession and for the association. So where the APTA Board of Directors sort of sets the tone for the organization and makes decisions for the organization, the House of Delegates highest responsibility is to set standards and policies for the profession. And that's what they do every year. So states or sections can bring information or ideas or policies to the House of Delegates where they're debated and voted on each year. And and you said this is an annual event. Correct. That in this most recent one that occurred, where you and I are speaking in November of 2021, and the most recent one that occurred was kind of a special one, or at least it was kind of tied to some special events because it was part of the centennial. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened at that, that House of Delegates gathering? Yeah, so this was the 76th gathering of the House of Delegates, but it was at the 100th anniversary celebration of the American Physical Therapy Association. So 
first 24 years or so, there wasn't a House of Delegates, but um, <laughs> but it was uh, a big event held in D.C. this year where we got to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the professional organization, but do some business as well. So the House of Delegates met um, and got its business done in a in the midst of all of the other celebrations that were occurring for the hundredth anniversary. Yeah. And it was, it was neat. This is the first year I'm a little ashamed to say, but at the same time, excited to say it's the first year I really paid attention to it. And I watched a lot of it online. Oh, great. And yeah, it was, it was, I follow a lot of PTs and the like on Twitter and there was a lot of activity. That's how I found out a lot about what was going on. And then uh, with links to the videos that we could see. So it was fun to see, I don't want to say the the formality of it, but there really is a very prescribed way of doing things, and it's it's pretty formal. I think you know a lot of the PTs we probably work and live in a in an informal clinical setting. A lot of us, so to see this uh, this truly regimented body kind of work was really fascinating, and 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 just to kind of watch the debate happen, it was it, I thought it was really 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 interesting. Yeah, you're right, and there there is quite a bit of formality in the process. So it it is a meeting that follows parliamentary procedure or Robert's rules of order. And, you know, the cool thing as I guess a Robert's rules of order geek that I am, that's so nerdy about it. I've taken coursework in it. Um, but <laughs> is that, you know, Robert's rules of order or parliamentary procedure really set a method for every voice getting heard, even if it's a voice that is of a minority opinion. So, and when you really delve into Roberts, the cool thing about Roberts is that there's all these rules that ensure that sort of the least voice gets heard and can't be discounted or not heard just because they may not be the majority in the room. Now, when it comes mm -hmm. to a vote, you know, we've all heard the, the phrase majority rules, but at least through the process of debate, all the opinions have an opportunity to be heard, even if they're not the most popular one in the room, potentially. And, and that's how I think we really get to a good outcome, because there is a mechanism in place for everyone who wants to, to speak to be heard. I'm glad you brought that up, because I was recently at the APTA Michigan Fall Conference, and they were uh, reflecting back and getting words from past presidents. And one of them wrote a little message talking about when he became president, he was leading a meeting and was expecting whatever they had to go through to take about 15 to 20 minutes. And then he <laughs> said something to the effect of, and then someone pulled out this book called Robert's Rules. And I was like, who's Robert? And why do we have to worry about his rules? And the meeting took three hours. But the point was exactly that what you said is that it does allow everyone a chance to speak. But I also think it, it seems to, from my own experiences, that it really seems to allow a rigid framework that kind of maybe keeps things that can get heated and emotional. It still keeps things moving forward in a way that, that gets things done. Yeah. And that's the hope, you know, Roberts helps that. The process that we use helps that. Uh, so there's Roberts Rules of Order, and then there's special rules that that APJ's House of Delegates adopts within itself under Roberts Rules of Order. So, you know, like time limits and, and different things. So you can't just get up there and talk forever and ever, but there's a specific... There's no filibuster. There's no filibuster. Yeah. So when I, <laughs> when I gave the analogy that it's like Congress, that's a very loose analogy because it's, it's actually probably 
maybe more functional than that. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the, all those rules, like you said, give a, a structure and, and I'd say the structure probably is actually less rigid than it appears because there's so many ways to maneuver within those rules. You know, you can kind of redo a decision if you want to, you can sort of go a different direction, change the order that you're listening to things in. Um, so, so the delegates have a lot of options and, and the powers in their hands. My job as vice speaker, along with the speaker and the secretary, who are considered the three house officers, is to sort of make sure the delegates have the information they need to be prepared, get their questions answered, and sort of facilitate the business over the two or three days that we have. We, of course, have tons of help and support from great APTA staff and other folks, but that's sort of our role is to make sure that we do move through in a professional and productive way and try to keep as much emotion out of it so that we can come to the best possible decision. But, you know, a lot of things that we discuss are, are personal and important. And so emotion does come into play, but those rules yeah. help us sort of be respectful of everybody's different opinions. I want to transition now to your work at Duke University. And specifically, it sounds like you run a bit of a mock house of delegates with your students. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we've been doing this for six years. Um, and there's several academic programs that do this. Ours is a little bit unique, I think, um, in how we manage it. But I work with our students over the course of a semester, and they write their own policies or position statements or charges, which is another option where the house can tell the APTA board of directors what it wants it to consider in its workflow. So our students get to write their own um, and they work in teams and spend several weeks researching issues that are passionate to them and write their own policy language and their support statements and sort of vet it through a process of getting input from other faculty or other people. Huh. And then we have 16 student teams and they each have a Twitter handle. So they're putting out their information <laughs> on Twitter in the name of their team and their teams can get to debate with each other on Twitter. But that also lets me sort of pull in people I know from around the profession that might have something to oh, say sure. about these different topics. And then, you know, after a period of... They do some grassroots campaigning decent, out there in yeah, Twitterverse. Exactly. <laughs> uh, there's been a couple of times that the Twitter the Twitterverse got confused between the Duke House of Delegates and the Real House of Delegates on a couple of topics. But, um <laughs> But I try to make it very clear that it's not the real deal. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they have fun. You know, it's, it's been interesting for, for a lot of our students. That's the first time that they use social media in a professional way, not just a personal yeah. or social way. So that's sort of part of my plan in that is to get them sort of out there and connected and realize there's this universe of social media that can be helpful as a professional and then we spend a whole day in a debate that looks very much like what you might have watched for the real APT House of Delegates. We actually bring in tons of guest mentors who are experienced sort of professionals who have, you know, been served on boards or been in different volunteer leadership roles or been a delegate or an APTA board member or, or whatever. And they sort of get to play along with the students and debate along with them. So that's another unique experience for our students because... You know, usually when you bring in a bunch of old, stodgy, 
professionals. <laughs> they just stare at the students and then grade them. And this is an opportunity where they get to sort of play together, so to speak. Well, for sure. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of fun. And our students come up with some amazing ideas and we have a really fun debate, uh, but they also get to learn sort of how those rules of debate work and what the real world implications are for their ideas that they've been working on for, for a couple of months. I think that's such a, such a neat idea. And I'm adjunct faculty at a, at a program in Michigan. And so it's fun to see how other programs do things and come up, you know, like, Oh, that work in, in our program. And yeah, I think, I think it's great to see that you're getting this involvement into APTA, well, this kind of, we'll call it mock involvement, but this exposure for sure into what the APTA does and can do for the profession. Because I think it's always a struggle that these organizations have is how do we show our value to students and new members and things like that. And to really give them this laboratory to play, I think is a fantastic idea. And then I think bringing in, uh, as you said, these kind of mentors from the community, you can bring in someone to say, yeah, I sat on the House of Delegates and I've served there and I know what it's like and here's here's what you need to do and why this is important. Have you seen kind of as you said, you've been doing this for about six years now. How has it translated into perhaps APTA membership or involvement in your students and graduates? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we started this five or six years ago, along with some other things that we changed in our curriculum too, that were in a hope to be a little bit more intentional about exposing students and getting them interested and involved in leadership and serving. And yeah, we're, we're definitely starting to see some dividends pay off. Um, we have had multiple students now go into leadership positions on the state and national level. In the third year we were doing this, one of our students ran for and became the APTA student assembly delegate to the APTA house of delegates. Wow. Along with another one of his classmates who also ran for the student assembly board that year. We've had, I think my latest count just in the last four classes is about 15 state level student board positions or section positions. Wow. And we've had, I'm really happy to say we've had three APTA Centennial scholars come from students wow. that have done this curriculum in the last few years. So um, I mean, that's, that's something else, right? Yeah. There. We're starting to see some payoff and you know, it, it's not just about the house. Of, we call it a house of duplicates. Um, just because it's, easy to, um, <laughs> that's clever. That's yeah, clever. I like it. Was, it. That took me, it took me longer than you would have thought to come up with, um, but, um, I'll edit that. Part yeah. Out. Well, or not. It's the truth. Uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, we, we've tried to get our students involved in other things through advocacy on the state and federal level, learning that they have a voice, uh, not only in like a mock house or a real house debate, but also in talking to legislators or other public officials about physical therapy. And, you know, it's not for everybody and not every student gets excited about it, but the ones that do really seek that as a goal in their career path and the ones that don't get excited about it at least know that it's happening and at least yeah. know how they could get in touch with somebody that is excited about it if they want to if, if nothing else if nothing else you're planting a seed yeah maybe in five years they're going to be like you know what i'm you know i'm out of school a little bit i'm a little bit more settled and now hey what was that house of duplicates thing we right. did that was fun <laughs> yeah the best compliment i get and i get it 
consistently every year at about the first break of the morning is a student will stop me in the hallway on the break and say, you know, Dr. Covington, I really thought this was going to be miserable and it's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> and that, that to me as a teacher is fantastic because if I can, if I can excite the one that thought it was going to be miserable enough to, to be in, interested and engaged, then, yeah. then I know I've won. That's a big absolute shift if you think yeah. about it. Oh yeah, I mean it's easy. It's, it's easy to take the ones that are excited and make them more excited. It's hard to move the ones that were coming into an experience determined that they were going to be miserable. That's 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 a great way to look at. It. I love that perspective. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. you. You know, check us out. Um, we get rolling with this late spring, um, and the students okay. will do their live debate, which we live stream in late Ooh. may but then their twitter conversation that happens for a couple of months ahead of that they each use the hashtag d-u-d-p-t-h-o-d for duke university doctor of physical therapy house of delegates so you can kind of follow along on twitter and then our yeah. real debate is sometime late may the date's not exactly set yet but okay. um yeah follow when that is set and you have a, a link for the live stream let us know and we will yeah, absolutely. We'll share it. Yeah, that's the other cool thing that now, you know, six years out, we have alums that actually watch. Oh, this sure. And and sort of sort of cheer along the, the students that. So are do doing you have? Okay, so I I could almost envision this coming to becoming like a Hogwarts thing where you have the different teams. It's the same teams every year. Like who wins the debate? And you can be yeah, like, oh, exactly. I was, a, I was a Slytherin in my year, and we won. What happened to you? Exactly. And we have a we have an amazing um, social media person at duke that live tweets and live gifts the whole thing all day long so it's we have a lot yeah. of fun with it yeah okay all right well i think you're i think you're setting the bar here for other programs to try to try to emulate yeah and you know i'd say ours ours has gotten more and more complicated and bigger and bigger every year and that shouldn't dissuade anybody from doing it it's a relatively simple thing right like get students yeah. together let them express their ideas let them debate about them you don't have to know all the rules. You don't have to know, you know, real parliamentary procedure. You don't even have to, they don't even have to make up their own policies. You can use the policies that were presented at this year's APTA House Delegates and let them debate those. Their perspectives may be very different as students than what the real House of Delegates did. So um, I always say when I talk to people about what we do at Duke is you don't have to do what we do, but do something. Because I think giving students this opportunity really helps them find that they have a voice in the profession. That's so cool. So, okay, so this is, we're going a little off topic here, and this may or may not make the episode, but this is also a topic that's been on my mind lately is humanities in dpt education yeah okay that uh i don't know if you went to the elc yeah that just happened I recently. Was okay okay so did you see dr mm -hmm. is it piamonte mm -hmm. to be accurate i was referring to dr nicole piamonte assistant professor and assistant dean for student affairs at creighton university's school of medicine at the phoenix regional campus we'll hear from her in our next episodes yeah, so I saw some highlights of her talk, and and I so when I was in school, I went to the University of Minnesota, 
and the now retired director, the, uh, he was the director when I was there, his name was uh, Dr. Jim Carrey, was part of, I believe, the founding group that started the Journal of Humanities and Rehabilitation. Have you heard of this? Yes. I thought at the time, oh, this is silly. People go to PT school to become physical therapists to help people. They don't need this fluffy candy corn kind of stuff, cotton candy stuff, not candy corn. That's disgusting. Oh, but oh, there's where you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I found the hot button. As I've gotten older and wiser, I've realized, especially in my own clinical practice, like the humanity stuff is really, honestly, I think where it's at. That's you can be the smartest book smart clinician in the world but if you have no ability to interact and relate to your fellow human then you're going to be a terrible therapist so it seems that the humanities are becoming maybe or getting a little more a little more due in terms of like yeah maybe we should be considering this stuff all that preamble to say is this something that you guys you guys being duke university include in your curriculum or do the students get exposed to this at all we're not talking about it that way, but I think we're doing it, um, yeah. which is kind of a, the interesting part. I mean, I think we're, we have a, a heavy, heavy content and communication. We have a lot of content around, you know, we, we added a whole course on pain from a psychologically informed perspective, which, mm-hmm. you know, delves into a lot of humanities yeah, type oh, content, sure. right? And how, how to relate and communicate. And then we also added recently a, a very large course series that we're doing with the medical students. It's cultural determinants and cultural, that's oh, I'm messing it up. CDHD is cultural determinants of health and health dis- disparities. Mm-hmm. And within that course is a ton of community focused concepts around how do you work with those that are different than you. And so while we're not talking about it in the terms she did at ELC, I think we're, we're we're definitely moving there. Right. When I went to PT school and I went to do 20 years ago, which is mind boggling to say that out loud now, but, um, (laughs) but you started when you were 12. I started, yeah, six. Um, (laughs) um, yeah, I started 20 years ago this fall. It was stall science, right? And like yeah. the communication yeah. content was introduce yourself and like, <laughs> you know, listen to what they say well, and nod and we smile did have, and we, use we did. active learning, you know, like active listening skills were like yeah. a, a thing then. Um, we did have the, uh, the practical where it was all about safe patient handling and you had like five or six things you had to do. And if you missed any one of them, you failed. Right. But one of them was you had to introduce yourself to the patient. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like that was, that was the extent of it. That was really like reflecting <laughs> back. I mean, we thought we were really getting into some deep stuff when we talked about like active listening skills and we did have like some classes on empathy, I think, but it was probably like one lecture. I mean, and now yeah, considering that shift and what we have in that curriculum now is, is pretty big and I don't think we're there and I definitely don't think physical therapy as a whole is there and I definitely don't think healthcare as a whole is there yeah um, oh yeah that, I, I don't think you'd have any argument there I think we're learning for sure yeah it'll be interesting to see how this shift continues kind of across the across the board both in the US and I want to say I'll say globally too because I'd love to get perspectives Outside the U.S., but I think the big things that I've kind of seen popping up, especially in the U.S., are just 
the history of racial disparity in healthcare yeah. and kind of the, the 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 generational history, the generational psychology towards healthcare, death and dying, just dealing with those kind of concepts that that you know, we as physical therapists don't maybe necessarily have the front row seat to, but we certainly have access to. Right. And yeah. But to be able to how do you prepare a student for you have a patient in hospice care? Right. Like how do you talk to them? Well, and when it comes to the race and marginalized populations conversations that have just exploded in the last year and a half or two years. I was in a meeting and I actually am fortunate enough to serve on APTA's DEI committee and as one of the board members that's assigned to that committee, one of my colleagues on that committee who actually I work with in my day-to-day job too, she profoundly stated, you know, what, what are we going to do as a profession to sustain this? Because most places are going to stop talking about this in a few years. Um, and yeah. at first when she said that, I was like, and then I'm like, no, she's right. You know, and, and how, how are we as a profession and as an organization, APTA and as educational institutions and clinics kind of not let that happen, I think is going to be really important. And, you know, from my hat as an educator, I hope part of the way we're not letting that happen is some of the stuff we're putting in our curricula, but I don't think every program is doing that either. So no, but I think you're, I think you're exactly right in that the, the future of this is simply dependent on the students. And right. The, the, the change will be slow, but hopefully it will be steady. Yeah. So, well, hopefully Fantastic. in 20 more years, being for the better so well you're working towards that end so yeah hope so cheers cheers to you thanks so dr kyle covington thank you for spending part of your time at the beach talking with us (laughs) oh this is fun dr kyle covington is an associate professor and director of assessment and program evaluation at duke university's doctor of physical therapy program and the vice speaker for the apta house of delegates he is a good egg Waves is a production of APTA Michigan. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Andy Wicks. Our co-host is Katherine Klein. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them. Just search for Waves Physical Therapy or MPTA Waves or at www.aptami.org podcasts. We are on social media at APTAMI Waves. Thank you for listening. And may all your documentation always be done on time.